This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Real Wealth, and it's our pleasure, as always, to have in the studio, in the hot seat today, Nick Stewart from the Stewart Group. How are you going, Nick? Very good, thank you. Looking very dapper, I might add. Oh, thanks. And today we're going to talk... Uh, about something I've never heard about until this morning, in fact, and it's a naked options. But before we get there, just to remind our listeners, Nick, what does the Stewart Group do? What's it all about? Uh, it's about helping people with helping people with their financial planning, mm-hmm. their investments, their insurance, and their KiwiSaver. You know, we're a, a holistic firm, family owned and operated, um, based in Katamu Road in Hastings. Been doing it for thirty-two years. Oh yeah, thirty-three years in January. So uh, we're about to clock over another milestone. That's amazing. And look, I had the pleasure of uh, chatting to uh, Don and uh, Trudy on some business at your premises the other day, and you had the most fascinating chair. Oh, we do. Yes, we had. We have the fifteen-legged chair. Yeah. And the idea is that you know, like if you had a stool and it only has three legs on it, well, that's not very well diversified. So, our clever marketing coordinator at the office. She came up with this idea that let's build a chair that has 15 legs to, to show true diversification. So I, my father-in-law, who's very, very handy with tools and wood woodcraft, he knocked up this chair, and it's, it's a cracker. It sits in that front foyer. It's marvellous. I wonder <laughs> what gets the most comments, though, the chair or the old bike? Because I bet the old bike's got a backstory. Yeah, the old motorbike gets a lot of questions because that's, um, that's a 1948 Villiers James mm-hmm. and um, they're actually, they actually dropped the, the early edition, like the 43, 44, 45, they used those in the war. And so this is one of the post-war vehicles, but you know they dropped those into Normandy. There are photos really? of the guys carrying <laughs> those on their shoulders through the waves. Great amazing, little bike. I love it. Okay, today we're going to talk about uh, naked options. Just mm. what are naked options? Well, <clears throat> this this particular little topic came up because there was um, in the United States and and around the world, there's been a lot of volatility in the energy markets uh, in the last month, and there was a high profile individual who uh, specialised and wrote books on naked options. In other words, uh, selling options without cover. Mm-hmm. And he didn't actually own the physical assets. He was writing or selling contracts and options on something he didn't own. Now, it's a kind of um, all-win-all-lose type arrangement, but he, was, he actually ran that as part of his hedge fund. And unfortunately, the volatility that he hadn't foreseen in the natural gas and oil market wiped out his fund. Wow. As in literally, it, it wiped out to zero... But unfortunately, because he wasn't, he didn't actually just own the asset. So, in other words, you know, if you buy an asset and it goes to zero, right? You've lost your investment. With these options, the exposure is unlimited. 
So some of the clients have not only lost their original investment, they owe more than they invested because of the unlimited nature. How does that work? I mean, why would anyone in their, I'm not saying in their right mind, because obviously there must be swings and roundabouts and it must work, but why would anyone sign up to an option like that? Uh, Because they, uh, they feel very, very confident. They're investing with conviction that they believe something is going to occur. Uh, you know, they believe they have a better crystal ball than someone else and they're prepared to bet the farm, so to speak, uh, on that particular uh, gamble or bet. Yeah. And and look, if it goes wrong, and in that particular case, the um, they wrote some uh, open uh, options on the natural gas market and the market took off. Well, they didn't actually own the underlying security. They were just writing options on it. Mm. And, of course, um, the exposure and therefore losses was unlimited. And, and it wiped the fund out in less than a month. Maybe just for the sake of our listeners who don't understand what an option is, what is an option in a, in a situation like this? Um, well, imagine, let's bring it back to something that uh, a lot of people would understand. Imagine that if I said to you, Ken, I'd like to take an option to buy your home in two years' time. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, yeah, sounds pretty good, Nick. I wouldn't mind getting out in two years' time. So I'm like, okay, cool. Now, if your property was to increase in value over the next six months, Therefore, that option that I hold now carries some value mm. because in two years' time, I get the opportunity to buy your house at a previously agreed sure. price. Okay. So that's like an option. Yeah. But imagine we're rolling these up on, it's not we, but the market rolls these up on anything from coffee beans to pork bellies to ordinary listed shares. Now, probably the recurring theme through all the talks that we've had over mm. the years that have been uh, broadcasting on Radio Kidnappers, is diversification. Are naked options something that you might suggest to someone? As part of your portfolio, Ken, we suggest these. Um, Look, that particular area of the market, um, I've always believed, is for folks that are very, very sophisticated uh, in the way that they approach investments. Mm -hmm. And many folks actually want to seek an exposure because they want to offlay risk they have in another area. I just used the I used a couple of commodities before in the form of coffee beans or pork belly. Yep. Well, you know, if you were a coffee bean um, roaster and you were bringing in X number of ton of coffee a year, you may want to have an option to lock in the price so that you're not you don't suffer the vagaries of market volatility as much as if you had no effective hedge or option. Um, but no, not many people want to head in that area. I mean, that that's swimming in the deep end of the swimming pool. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Is that the sort of market that you might uh, venture into if you had so much money that it didn't really matter? Uh, to <laughs> Does anyone have that <laughs> much money? I don't know. Uh, hey, um, a nice hypothetical. I think <laughs> yeah. that someone that has that amount of money wants to worry about more important things in their life than um, naked options. Yeah. I think they'd prefer to take a little little less risk and just look after their health and have a better family life. If you were a person who didn't mind a bit of risk, um, would you set a, a bailout point? Is there a point that you can say, if it gets to this point, I want out? Can you do that or are you at the mercy of the guy who's investing it for you? Uh, this particular one, when you give away your capital to someone who's running a fund, yeah. and in this, this case it was a hedge fund, um, you've actually passed all responsibility to that individual to make the calls on your behalf. And uh, in this particular case in the US, that investment manager made a couple of wrong calls, which saw the, um, in his language, um, it sunk the ship. Yeah. So, um, what, sort of, what sort of figure were we talking? 
Oh, um, I think it was about a quarter of a billion. Wow. That's a lot so, of money. Yeah, it, is, it is a lot of money, but when you're taking massive speculative positions, and this won't be the, this is not the first and not the last time that these type of uh, investments uh, can come a cropper. I mean, you and I, uh, a year ago, we, 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 had, uh, we had a number of discussions on this show about Bitcoin. Yes, indeed. Well, you Look know, at that. Wow. Ooh, evil. Yeah. yeah. So uh, imagine that if you had some leverage on Bitcoin. And some people I heard, um, or I read it in social media, that people had borrowed against their family home to mm. buy some Bitcoin. You and I talked about yeah, that as well. Indeed. Well, if you had done that and you had borrowed only 30% against your home to uh, invest in Bitcoin, well, um, effectively, so you've got a 30% hedge, well, you would have no equity in the Bitcoin now because it was peaked at 22000 yeah. and currently is now 5000 So yeah. if you'd taken a 30% LVR or you know thirty percent leverage on it, it's gone. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, that that uh, Bitcoin is probably quite a good analogy when we're looking at uh, this these naked options because mm. I suppose if you bought your Bitcoin, you bought your Bitcoin on a bull market, didn't you originally? Yeah. Because yeah. it was it was sky high. Yep. Now it's a bear market, but people are still buying it. Yeah, they are. Well, look, hey, and this is the thing, you know, when you read something in the newspaper about hey, there are uh, more sellers than buyers in the market. Well, that's just fluff. Because of the fact that for a transaction to occur, there has to be a willing buyer and a willing seller. <laughs> there can't, you cannot force more people through the pipe than the pipe has has width. Yeah. And uh, so, um, so yeah, there are people buying Bitcoin, and there are still people, and there are people selling it. Yeah. What do you think of those people that are doing that? I mean, in the face of, it's like sort of uh, like lemmings jumping off a cliff, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly felt like that as it ramped up because yeah. all you re- – I mean, you remember it was every day in the paper. There was. was an article about it, et cetera. And now that it's uh, Armageddon and there's a bit of blood on the floor, no one wants to read about those things. So uh, you only get an article every 10 yeah, days. Yeah, and you just don't hear about it. I mean, are there trends with um, options, the trends that you should follow or trends that you should stay away from? Or is, it, is, is it a bit like the share market or is it much more no, volatile no, than the share market? No, it's much more volatile than the share market. And, look, the average Kiwi – um, you know, typically from what we see, evidence is that Kiwis typically hold a little more in bonds than they hold in shares. So in other words, they hold more in fixed interest than they hold in shares, which is the flip side in Australia. They hold more shares than fixed interest on average. Um, but look, the options market is right at the sharp end. Uh, that's, you know, high volatility, and that's beyond the realm of most ordinary Kiwis who actually deem equities to be fairly volatile without adding on a you know, turbocharger and an intercooler yeah. and a whole lot of petrol yeah. to get into the naked options market. What, wow. sort of, what sort of stocks might you uh, advise that we uh, look at for options moving forward? Um, no, that, that would be more where a particular investor has a, has a significant exposure. Um, not something we see a lot in Hawke's Bay. There are some really, there are large corporates here in Hawke's Bay that are listed, but not like you see in the US where you might have an individual who's worked at BP for 20 years yes. and has a whole lot of BP shares. Now that person has significant risk on a single, single stock, single currency. So therefore, because of course the primary listing of the current, of the stock is in one currency. So, for example, if you were invested in a, in a, if you had significant stock options as an executive of a of a company that was listed on the FTSE, the UK Stock Exchange, with Brexit and the volatility that has been seen since the Brexit vote, you probably would want to have 
some options there in terms of um, uh, not just options in terms of how you're going to play it, but some actual um, some instruments to reduce the volatility and give you a bit of a parachute at the back of a, a, a parachute at the back of the plane. Yeah. Would you recommend that um, hedge funds or in options are not for the faint of heart? Uh, yes, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, aside from the fact that um, they are typically a little more volatile, mm-hmm. um, they're also very expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, the average hedge fund, there's an industry term called 2 and 20. That is, they will charge you 2% of the value of the fund for the privilege of investing, and they will take 20% of the return. Yeah. That's what it's called, 2 and 20. So when you add that up, um, it's a lot. V- very, very expensive. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. wonder um, when I've spoken with uh, some of your team mm. many times about um, the share market, for instance, and they, in the main, say that the share market's got probably a cycle. You know, every seven years it goes up and then it comes down and it's then going to come up again and it's yeah. going to come down again. Yeah, it does. Is it the same with uh, options? Um, no, but. W- <laughs> It depends. So there are so many different options that can be written. And, um, you know, there are people taking uh, options for selling, taking options for buying. So, in other words, both sides of the equation. Um, whereas with a, an ordinary equity instrument, such as a share, such as, you know, you buy uh, some shares in Spark yeah. or Fisher & Paykel Healthcare or a company like that, well, you're in it for the long term. There is no expiry date until possibly the company um, is taken over or is delisted or the company fails. But... Whereas options is it, it's a much more it's it's a narrower argument it's a it's an option over an instrument mm. and that instrument can be anything as I said before from coffee beans to pork belly futures to uh, an option over a share. You did mention real estate there uh, mm. a little while back, and I wonder you know regardless of how much this government is doing to discourage investment <laughs> in um, in bricks and mortar. Yes, yes. Um, are bricks and mortar uh, a big option that we could look at down the track? I mean, are people um, actively um, pursuing options in real estate? Um, was another big deal here? No, no, it's not. And you've uh, you've seen a little bit of that in the US, where people were seeking to create instruments that wrapped up uh, bundles of um, securities mm-hmm. that were, you know, re- uh, re- re- REITs as they're called in the states, yep. um, listed real estate trusts. Um, but it's not something we commonly see here in New Zealand. The market's pretty skinny. I mean, what have we got? Four or five listed real estate trusts, and that's it. And none of those are really have an exposure to um, residential unless you head into that kind of um, managed care arrangement with some of the um, um, retirement home providers. Mm. Yeah. One of the uh, topics uh, up for mm. discussion uh, on this paper I found, it says uh, it said you should write naked options with no more than three months left in their life. What does that mean? Right, so that that means that's so you're narrowing the period of investment. Mm-hmm. So, and look, it can also mean when you've got a very narrow period that the cost isn't isn't great. Yeah. So you're limiting your you're limiting your exposure. Whereas, of course, if I said to you, oh, oh no, here's a classic case. Uh, I remember hearing when I was a child, well, when I was younger, that. Um, the old um, fruit, the uh, apple and pear board mm-hmm. had a, um, they'd taken a fairly long position on the US dollar. Uh, and they took it on the expectation that, that the New Zealand dollar was going to increase. Well, I mean, that's one person's opinion or a sure. team's opinion. But the issue was that over that period, the um, it was a very long contract and in terms of duration. And the dollar went the other way. 
which means they were horribly exposed. Mm. Um, now that, that you know that can happen, but the longer the view, the bigger the risk. What about buying options that are overpriced at the moment? Is it does that work? Oh, it's not something that I've particularly looked at, to be frank. Um, yeah, for us, it's as I was saying before, we're looking at it where an individual may have a particular exposure. Whereas, to be honest, in Hawke's Bay, it's not something you see very often. And even in New Zealand, it's not that common. But but as I was saying earlier, some of those, some of the big global corporates where a huge amount of the compensation paid to the employee is rolled up in shares. For example, if you were a um, ooh, founding employee of Google, etc., oh, yes. you, you know, and, and, and most of your stretch component of remuneration was shares. Mm. Um, therefore, I, and, and I know some advisors in the United States specialize in only dealing with the employees of certain companies because they know the absolute ins and outs of the employment contracts and how the remuneration packages are built and what the options program looks like. If you weren't afraid of taking a bit of risk, are options or hedge funds, are they the way to make big money if you had the money to invest? History would show that the people that make the most money in hedge funds are those that manage the money, not those that invest. Hmm. So in simple terms, two and 20 <laughs> is better than being an investor. So um, look, it, uh, we prefer to treat things more at more plain vanilla and things that people understand. They're yeah. not synthetic. So we look at things like if someone wants to have more risk and take a more aggressive ex- exposure, own more shares and have less fixed income or bonds, and then within those shares have a larger exposure to small companies and value companies and emerging market companies because they have a much higher expected return long term. You touched on bitcoins a bit earlier, and mm. uh, the last time that we spoke about it, we, we also spoke about the fact that there are computer programs now that we're buying <laughs> and selling in split seconds. Yes. And uh, I guess those programs are still running. Does that sort of program um, apply for buying options, buying, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell? Is it worth um, that or not? Yeah, 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 it is. But the, the, the particular case we were saying it before, this person was actually writing contracts. Yeah. Um, whereas the buying and selling, yeah, speed of pipe is important. Although not as important, I would say, as those that are trying to mirror an index. Because you get these things called like index huggers, whereby you and I, if we want exposure to the NZX50, which is in top 50 New Zealand mm. listed companies, and we're wanting, if we were the fund manager that was running that, we would want to mirror that index and hug it as tightly as possible. So therefore, we want the fastest pipe to the stock exchange, which is why you know a number of companies, um, particularly um, in um, in the states, huddle around the stock exchange and they put in some pretty phenomenal technology to ensure that their computer systems uh, deliver trades or transactions via the exchange. As I was going to use the word as quickly as humanly possible, but it's, it's got nothing to <laughs> yeah, do with a human. Right. It's, it's purely through a computer. Um, so, yes, yeah, speed of pipe's important um, if you're playing that particular game. Yeah. Just about out of time, Nick. I just wonder no whether or not you might uh, ref- reflect on 2018 and uh, consider the financial market and what it's, what it's done for either, say, New Zealand or, yes. or globally. What have been the highlights for you and what's, what's maybe been one of the downsides to it? Um, well. 
It's been a bit of a mixed bag, actually, because when you reflect on the fact that the uh, the equity markets peaked on the 28th of September this year, and they came back um, during the period of October and um, early November, mm-hmm. and then towards the end of November they've started to come back, and it's um, hasn't come back in, uh, in terms of positive returns. So a lot of investors were quite euphoric at around that June through September quarter, and um, quite a few are more subdued now, yes. having seen that they're um, fairly fairly uh, substantial uh, equity market returns over that period have come back to look more like an inflation number at the moment. But hey, um, what goes up can come down. And um, look, there's still another couple of weeks in the market until the calendar year end numbers are rolled. And it's amazing what can happen in a short period of time. I'll leave you with one analogy. And that is that it's like, think about investing as in going to a rugby game. So if I take my son along to the rugby, which which we do to the local games here to watch the magpies, now if my son needs to use the, if I have to take him to the restroom once during the game and he wants to drink another time in the game and then a hot dog for a third time in the game, there is a possibility that when he and I are not in our seat watching the magpies, that we miss the only three tries of the game. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now it's a little bit like that with markets. So, for example, if you'd been out of the market over the last 10 days, if you'd pulled up stumps after being, after seeing your portfolio drop from the 28th of September all the way through October and you'd pulled up stumps and said, I'm just going to go to cash. I think I might sit this out until yeah. New Year, until Santa's arrived. Well, you would have found you would have missed a fairly phenomenal bump over the last 10 days. And I like to think about it like going to the Magpies and when they're on the field, you should be in your seat. Otherwise, you're going to miss the action. Not that you can call it, uh, Nick, but looking ahead for the next 12 months, are we in good heart? Yeah, we're in good heart. Look, we've um, the coalition government's working. Uh, it's fine. It appears globally that um, yeah, you know, people are still rattling the sabers around this, you know, global trade. But but people aren't silly, mm-hmm. and uh, and they don't want to uh, derail the growth and the expectations of their voting public. Just remind our listeners, Nick, if we want to uh, come and see for any advice on options or other financial uh, <laughs> transactions, where are you? We are at 204 Academy Road, Hastings, in the black basalt stone building with the tartan logo. Good on you, Nick. As always, our pleasure. You look after yourself. Have a fabulous Christmas and a great new year, and we'll talk to you in the new year. You bet. Merry Christmas. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project.